Hello! Welcome to the fourth episode of Motown Knows. If you haven't joined us before, this is our conversation series and a podcast that we host bi-monthly. I'm Annalyn Winfrey, a reporter at the Montrose Daily Press, and I'll be your host today. At the last school board work session, Montrose County School District announced a master plan outlining new projects and deferred maintenance for local schools. This includes expanding early childhood centers in the Peak Virtual Academy, improving safety across the board, and maybe even, even fully replacing the current high school someday. Some of these improvements come off the back of an anticipated enrollment growth over the next few years as Montrose continues to grow and recover from the pandemic. Today, we're joined by James Pavlich, the Executive Director of Operations, Philip Bailey, the Director of Property Services, and Penny Harris, the Early Childhood Education Director. I'd like to thank all of you for making some time out of your busy schedules to join us today. And if our conversation today brings up any questions or ideas, feel free to ask or share on our local community forum, Neighbor. That's spelled N-A-B-U-R, and you can log on by heading to nabur.montrospress.com. It's a social media site powered by local journalists at the Daily Press. Before we get started, I'd also like to thank Delta Montrose Electric Association for helping make this event happen as our continued sponsor. So, um, Philip and Jim, how did this whole master plan come about? Where did the conversation start? So, uh, the master planning process is, uh, I just want to explain this, it, it came up, uh, I've been pushing the board and uh, the new superintendent to go through the full-blown process of a true master plan. And a master plan is like a 10-year look ahead, kind of a roadmap of, of what we need to do to maintain our buildings. So we had a team of uh, people assess our buildings, you know, architects, engineers. We're looking at code violations. We're looking at uh, deficiencies that we have in HVAC systems, roofs, things like that, as well as programming and, uh, you know, how we're, how we're reaching out to our students. So. It's a very important process. It's a process that we can utilize to uh, go for grants and different things. So to me, it's a it's a very effective tool in my toolbox uh, to help me uh, give our students and staff a better environment in which to teach and learn. Yeah, I know that a lot of work has gone on to this process so far. So can you guys just give us an overview of the kind of work that's been done so far over the past year or so? You know, in the initial phases of it is really a lot of assessments. So we have, like I said, the engineers mm -hmm. and people come in and they assess our facilities for deficiencies. Um, and then, so that that's building our data that we're going for um, on a deficiencies basis and, and what works and doesn't work. Um, and then we uh, take that data and we, Put numbers to that so we had fci constructors uh come in and help us with budgeting that so that we can actually put a dollar amount to you know what is it going to take to fit to fix deficiencies uh and then and then uh as you could see in some of the the slides even showing you know we highlight those deficiencies based on need you know so the red is more important than uh the yellow or the or the other so yeah and um on that note, Penny, I want to bring you into this conversation because I know that the ECC program, the early childhood program, is one of the biggest um, was one of the biggest needs identified in this um, so far in the process. So, can you talk about um, what the current needs of the child care center are as it stands today? Um, currently, we exist on three different sites. Uh, we have two classrooms at Johnson Elementary, four classrooms at Olathe Elementary and then nine classrooms um, here at the district uh, campus. 
and we are 100% modular buildings. What we're looking at right now is we're serving the needs of the community right now, but in the future, when we look at universal preschool program and Head Start's uh, federal requirement that we move to 100% full day for Head Start children, we really are, we're landlocked. I can't, I can't expand because we just don't have the facility to expand in. We can't even help support the community's needs in um, offsetting some of those childcare needs. We just don't have any room to grow. And how do you see that um, manifest as, as the director of, of the ECE program? Like, are there a lot of kids on the wait list to, to join? And um, how do you deal with that overall shortage? The majority of our children um, are eligible for our funding sources. And so we do a nice job at the district serving those eligible children in our school district. What we would like to see is that we have uh, typical children not necessarily eligible for our program, but children that can come in and receive quality education and not have to qualify, but could just be there because their parents want them there or that they would benefit from having a quality early childhood setting to learn in. And Philip, I wanted to ask you, because um, I remember you mentioned this at the board meeting a couple of weeks ago, why are modular buildings not the greatest, if you will? Um, what's wrong with modular buildings, especially in a climate like here in Colorado? Well, they're just, they're, they're a huge amount of energy goes into them and a, and a huge amount of maintenance uh, and upkeep required that we have bathrooms in them and sinks for the kids. Uh, we bring in meals. Uh, you have to have the, the program requires a certain amount of square footage for each student. So a modular limits your capacity uh, to who you can serve and just, you know, given that the the maintenance costs and things like that it's just it's it's not the most effective setting um we make it work uh and i think penny does a great job in doing that um it's just uh, it limits how many kids we're going to be able to to uh, see and and uh really give that early childhood instruction to and set them up for success in the in the main school mm-hmm um, and Penny, what's it like um, for the teachers and students having a, going to the center in in a modular environment? How does how does that affect the learning experience? I will say our teachers have always done a phenomenal job just educating children. Mm -hmm. And in the long range, Harvard did a study, and they, there's five elements that make quality early childhood. We have four of the elements. One is quality um, environments. And by quality, I mean, we have tech, we would have technology, we would have HVAC that um, would make the environments healthy. Just those elements in a, in a K through 12 school that are important for, for learning. We know that that's just as important for young children. We serve the whole child. So not just educational, but health wise too. We wanna to ensure that they're safe and healthy and we meet the needs that, that they come in with. So, yeah. We'll do, we've done it for 30 years. We've been with the program, we've been, been with the preschool for, or not the preschool, the school district for 30 plus years. And we've made mm -hmm. it work. Um, we just know that the quality environment is an element in quality education for early childhood. Mm -hmm. And aside from the early childhood center, what are some other of the, of the biggest priorities that 
um, y'all have found out so far in this process? I think one of the biggest ones is that we're excited about getting from this process, which I think you guys showed the slide a second ago. It was priority number one, which is addressing our ongoing maintenance concerns. It's really done a good job of uh, quanti quantifying, qualifying, of prioritizing um, what we need to work on across the district and in what order we need to work on it. And so, you know, it's it's helping us determine that minim minimum maintenance threshold that we need to do to keep our buildings as safe and operational as possible. I mean, it, it runs the full gamut. You know, it's it's the it's everything you would maintenance in your home. It's the bathrooms. It's you know, we want to make sure that we're uh, providing access uh, for disability, uh, so ADA access, uh, things like that for our students. It reaches outside of our, our buildings to our playgrounds. Um, it's how, how can we maintenance and upgrade these? Uh, what do we need to do to really meet the needs of all students um, on an equitable basis? So, uh, so, you know, the ideas that I see from it, this is a working tool for me and it's a, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's ongoing. We'll be adding to it as, as we continue down the road and we'll be, you know, able to check off. Okay. We've replaced, you know, this antiquated HVAC system and, and and we'll show these upgrades. It'll be a really good tool that we can communicate with our public to show them that we're making good decisions as a district with the finances that they've given us uh, to support us uh, and our children. So um, it really is that tool uh, moving forward. It, it, it helps me establish uh, what I'm going to go for for best grants and different things so that I can get assistance uh, other ways and and uh, and have the state help us with some of our financing um, and things like that. So it's really a, a great tool, um, a roadmap, so to speak, of looking down the road to see what what big ticket items we need to do. Um, it's interesting, you know, to look at it because we, you know, we're not just looking at the facilities through this. We're looking at programming and, and different things and how we can better uh, give our kids uh, the quality education that they deserve. And I think I'm not glad you brought up. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Just to say, not coming from a construction background, this process it really focused on um, RTA focused on those things that could initially potentially hurt a child or get a school shut down. So those are kind of the thresholds that they looked at to what moved up the list to be the priorities. Could they hurt a child? Could they hurt a student? Could they get the school shut down because it was that important to fix? And that's that that uh, color-coded um, sheets that you guys were showing a few minutes ago. Essentially, we now have those for every building, every facility that we maintain here on campus, um, and we have it prioritized district-wide. And so that's that roadmap Phil's talking about that can help us prioritize where we spend money and resources. Right, because without a, a solid building in which to educate kids, you can't educate kids, you can't do anything else. So it's it's providing that basic uh, facility to make sure that y'all can do, everybody else can do their jobs too. And the, the interesting part too, is when you look at those priorities that you guys were talking, that you've done a good job of showing for us a couple of times, we've talked about the ECC and the maintenance, but it also shows some of our buildings that are not in as good a condition as um, like they're getting older and it prioritizes what systems we re replace in there. So if we have a building that is gonna reach end of life sometime, 
in the, the near or not too distant future, you know, it helps us prioritize where we're going to um, spend money in those buildings. Mm -hmm. Well, and I know um, a couple of years ago, the Columbine Middle School was scrapped and a, a new beautiful building was was built from scratch. Um, and I know the high school is on there as well for something that could happen down the line to build a completely new building. Are there any other schools around the district where the building is just getting too darn old and you're thinking about um, making a major change? I'll talk, I'll let Phil take this in a second. I think it's important to say we have no building that like we're worried about sending kids into tomorrow. Our buildings, right. you know, uh, the, you know, Phil and his crew have done a good job of maintaining and keeping our buildings safe across the district. But yeah, there are mm -hmm. some buildings I'll let Phil speak to that are old, you know, they're, they're re, there's components of them that we may consider sometime in the future um, replacing. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, you know, buildings have a certain amount of life into them. And so this is also a communication tool with the public that we can express to them the need. You know, you, you brought up the high school. We realize, I mean, that's that's a that's a very expensive project to try and pull off, as you guys probably know from what's going on in Grand Junction. Uh, it's a big project to pull off. So you have to have the community buy into that because that's who's going to support us in that. But but we want to be able to show the data that, you know, this this building won't last forever. And, you know, we're, we're already busting at the seams. We're going to, you know, we're going to continue. So we can we can take care of certain things through programming and and putting more on to peak, uh, you know, uh, and, and moving some things around. But at some point, we as a community will outgrow our current high school. And then so we as, you know, really an important part of my job and our job as directors is to forward think this, to look at this. And, and by, by doing this process through the master plan, we're really getting that data driven, you know, we've got the data in place to support that, you know, at some point we will have to replace the high school. At some point we will have to do something. At some point, you know, we should address ECC's needs. Um, and that, you know, that, that speaks to the community, right? That's, that's, not just us making the decision, the community will be very much entrenched in these decisions with us. And you earlier you brought up funding as well, and you, you mentioned the BEST grants, which stands for Building Excellent Schools Tomorrow. It's a state-run grant program where the state matches funds for certain projects. But I wanted to talk some more about um, how to pay for these large, sometimes multi-million dollar projects. There's BEST grants, of course, but what other what other ways can the school district fund these? I'll talk early childhood specific. We know with the pandemic, the, the spotlight is on the fact that if we don't have early childhood settings for children to go, people can't work. So economically, yeah. um, it, the federal government and our state government is looking at um, ensuring that all communities have the, the capacity to serve children so that so that parents can work. And so there are some dollars going into um, facilities. Uh, so we're hoping that we can access potentially some of these federal and state dollars to help us build or improve our facilities. Uh, we have philanthropy grants that we can go after. Um, yeah, some communities have even done mill levies. So I'm not saying that's where we're going, but 
we do know that schools, pre, early childhood settings that have had success in facilities often go to their communities and say, we need support to build our facilities so we have somewhere to serve these kids. So there's there's some options out there in early childhood that may not be options for, for K-12. So I just wanted to outline those a little bit differently than I would um, the K-12 facilities. Ultimately, best yeah, grant, we, we, when we put in for a best grant, we get uh, 38 cents on the dollar uh, reimbursement from the state in general. So 60% of that money has to come from either our budgets here that we get uh, to run school or it's got to come from the community. Um, Phil can speak to how the options we had for funding when we decided to do um, Columbine, but that was a big enough project, you know, that we had to go to the community and, and the community had to decide that was a need. You know, right now what we're looking to do is we, we have dollars available through, um, through the COVID relief funds that have come in uh, that we can use to upgrade and address some of the items on the deferred maintenance, specifically HVAC, you know, the heating and air conditioning systems in our buildings. Um, it's a priority for expense uh, for improvement uh, from the federal government right now. So we will leverage those dollars that are available to improve those items on our deferred maintenance uh, related to HVAC. When you get into HVAC systems, you know, Phil's passionate about um, you have things to do with the roof because <laughs> if you're changing out equipment, mm -hmm. we're going to make sure we put it on a good roof. Um, we're leveraging best dollars to address some of our security concerns as, as you and I have spoken about previously. And I think we're going to talk about later on a specific time, but, um, other options or ways that those are funded. I'll let Phil speak to. Well, yeah, it's our, our capital improvement budget, a certain amount of our, our money, you know, we set aside for capital improvements out of our general fund. And that typically is what we would use for our, our matching portion of funds to, to do improvements. Um, and then like, like Jim had mentioned, uh, just right now with the, uh, the, the COVID relief funds, you know, that's, that's going to be a big part of helping us with our match so that then we can hopefully take some additional capital monies to if we need to replace that roof because we're going to change the HVAC and it, it, it now would be the time to do it, that's what we'll be doing. So it's just making good decisions with the money we have to do the projects we need to, to keep our facilities functioning uh, to the best of our ability. Um, at some point, you know, bigger projects, you know, we will, we would have to reach out to our public. Over the course of the last year and a half, uh, our state has approved universal preschool program uh, across the state of Colorado. And what that is, is 10 hours of um, free preschool for all four-year-olds whose parents are wanting uh, quality preschool. That's driving the growth and the need of settings in our local community. In addition to that, we now have a Department of Early Childhood that's been approved. So most things early childhood will be moved into this new department. So there's lots of gears turning right now um, that are putting, that are moving early childhood to the forefront of what's important in our state and at the national level. Um, I, I can't express strongly enough that all of these gears turning right now 
are going to have a huge impact on our community because we just had a child care needs assessment done and we we don't have enough slots in our community for parents to take their kids to get um, child care or or early education because there's not enough providers exactly yeah i feel like um the pandemic brought so many other factors to the forefront and the need for early childhood is just one of the um is just one of the needs that was highlighted um well to to wrap things up what is, what are the parts of the plan of the of the process so far that um, y'all are the most excited about looking forward i you know again it's a it's a very effective tool for my toolbox for me to to deliver mm -hmm. that i know we're going to get the best bang for our buck out of that we're going to really um keep our facilities in good shape for our students and staff in the community because the community uses our facilities as well I think for me, the transparency, I've been in this community a long time, and to know that there's actually this master plan that the school district, it's its a working plan, the community knows about it, the community can get behind it or give us advice or give us their opinions. It's important for our community to, to support our schools and our schools to support our community. So I think it's really important that transparency piece that we have going on with this master planning project is probably the most exciting to me. Mm -hmm. I think what's most exciting to me is it allows all the members in our community. I'm just going to piggyback on what these two said, really, to understand mm -hmm. what is the current condition of your schools? Um, what needs are there in your schools right now? And so it mm -hmm. allows for us to have an informed, collaborative discussion about where we're going. And, and, and for everybody to understand where we currently are. So like Penny said, it allows us to be transparent and to have a, a, a collaborative conversation about what we should do in the future. Awesome. Well, that's all for our fourth episode of Motown Knows. And I'd like to thank again, um, Jim Pavlich, Philip Bailey and Penny Harris for joining us today. And again, if you have any questions for me or any of our guests, log on to nabur.montrosepress.com and comment. And thanks once more to our sponsor, the Delta Montrose Electric Association. We'll be back again in two weeks for another great conversation about our community. Motown Knows was created by Justin Tubbs and Jose Perez, produced by Sean Fitzpatrick and Sean Flannelly, overseen by Dennis Anderson, and I'm your local reporter and host today, Annalyn Winfrey.